Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, and today's work-in is all about the sinful brain. Hello and welcome to The Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimise your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome back, and today we will be asking Stephen to join us one last time and discuss our attraction to wickedness and the sinful brain. I happen to know that you're also quite a fan of, of sins, and what's going on in the sinful brain. So the path the path to temptation, the path to wrongdoing, the path to, well, according to philosophy and uh, theology, hell. So mm-hmm. shall we talk a little bit about the sinful brain? Can you take us through, what, what's your favourite sin? <laughs> favourite? Well, you say I love sins. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm frightened of them. And uh, like all of us, I'm so prey to them. I think sins are destructive, but they can harm the world, but they really do harm the self more than anything else. An obvious example is gluttony. Uh, gluttony is deeply pleasurable because food and drink and the physical uh, pleasures of this world are so great and they've never been more available you don't even have to be uh, a roman emperor to enjoy great um, sustenance and and beautiful food and wine and uh, all the things that are around and yet it doesn't really hurt anybody else if you're gluttonous and yet of course it does ultimately come to that most of all, it hurts oneself, and gluttony is an obvious example because you, you just get fat and diseased and, you're, and sclerotic arteries, and then you keel over like, or you explode like Mr. Creosote in Monty Python's uh, Meaning of Life, you know, when you have that last wafferth in mint. So everything that's true of the individual in sin is true of the human race as a species, which is what I find interesting. So we can be that fat person who is uh, who explodes, but as a race, we are that fat person. We are a greedy race, and we have sucked almost all the juice out of the peach of a planet onto which we were born, and we are in, um, handing over a dried-out husk to our children and grandchildren, or at least there's a danger of it. So... As individuals, it hurts us to be greedy, to be lustful, to be proud, to be angry, because it does, it eats into oneself, it corrodes oneself to be like that. But each one of those things uh, as a species, when we're like that, is is ghastly too. But the thing that, that interested me about it is, because I'm not religious, it doesn't mean that one isn't aware of right and wrong, good and evil. And over time, people have thought about these things very hard obviously and and different people have come up with different views as to how to behave well and the current one in philosophy which is called consequentialism these days but used to be called utilitarianism which is to say you act such that you do the least harm to anyone around you you have as much freedom as you need, that as, and as long as your freedom doesn't impinge on the freedom of the health and happiness of, of others, as long as you don't cause suffering to others, you can do what you like. And while I think that's true, there's an, a, a more ancient kind of philosophical view, uh, the deontic view, as it's called, which is best known through a, a philosopher called Kant, but actually you don't need to be a philosopher. It's Jiminy Cricket. It's the voice in your head. It's that strange 
impulse, this obligation, this feeling when you're falling asleep at night, I was such an asshole last night. Why did I do that? I hate myself. I couldn't be better. Please let me be a better person. Not so that you're more admired. Not It genuinely is a feeling. You know, when my grandfather died, whom I adored, I, I, I thought for a couple of years afterwards that, although I didn't really believe in life after death, I thought he was watching me. So when I was alone doing something bad, stealing or masturbating, whatever it might be, that <laughs> you thought was bad when you were 12, I imagined my grandfather was watching me and it made me shrivel up with, with guilt. And most of us would say, yeah, that's the problem with, with society, the Victorian society of this patriarch looking down on you, this God with big side whiskers telling you how to behave and making us feel guilty. And yet, while I agree with all that, there is a part of me that just genuinely feels there is such a thing as wickedness, my wickedness, my greed, my selfishness, my meanness, and I would love not to have them. You don't hear about people talking about them. So I did a podcast series called The Seven Deadly Sins just because these days we just, we look in every direction except inside ourselves as to what's wrong with the world. And I thought maybe it's worth looking inwards to one's own wicked, cavernous, black, dripping soul. <laughs> It is quite interesting how all of the low-hanging fruit, the thing that gives us immediate pleasure for the brain, so mm. the stuff that, you know, uh, we will get a reward spike for immediately, mm. quite often is the stuff that's actually bad for us mentally and physically long-term, and the stuff that's good for us physically and mentally long-term is the stuff you don't necessarily enjoy quite so much in the moment, and there's there's a kind of cruelty to that reality and Absolutely. you can see why people gravitate towards sins even though they're not good for you because in the well, short term they're fun. It, it leaks back to intelligence actually because it's a, a mistake of evolution if you like. We made this extraordinary evolutionary leap that is sometimes called the cognitive revolution where within a surprisingly short and recent time we developed language and we refined our tool making skills as a result of language and our social skills are, are banding together to such a sophisticated degree that we suddenly had a calorific intake which was far in excess of any other living thing that the mixture of language the ability therefore to plan to speak of the future to plant you know the agricultural revolution that came the, the, the taming of animals the cooperation with other human beings all this led to the ability not to scrabble every second of the day to get one's calories to be alive as all animals other animals seem to do. If you look at animals in the wild, it's constant stress trying to eat enough and to avoid being eaten and just to eat enough to be able to mate and pass on your genes. And we, because we developed this intelligence, the thing we started talking about, we were able to overcome those problems. But unfortunately, physically, our hormonal, our endocrine system, uh, our reward and punishment system, didn't catch up with it. So it still told us, have more of that sugar, because it thought that we were still in the jungle where a small piece of sugar could keep one in calorific uh, happiness for a couple of days. Instead, we gorged it all in, you know, in that half an hour. And then an hour later, 
more. And, and, and our brain said, yes, more, more, more. So the very intelligence that has allowed us to rise, if rise we have, has also short-circuited or leapfrogged our physical evolution so that it means we are doomed to be destructive to ourselves because we still have these impulses to feed and to enrich ourselves. Which quite nicely brings us back to, you know, the first part where we were actually talking about intelligence and, you know, the That's Flynn right. effect. That's right, exactly, it does, yeah. You know, are you familiar with the Flynn effect? Oh, no, So, so uh, basically IQ just rising and rising and rising consistently, but it's plateaued now. So there's some sort of suggestion. It's the <laughs> the end of uh, end of IQ growing and, um, you know, there's a, a very interesting correlation potentially to just our, our gravitation towards sins and towards gluttony yes. and all the others that are just becoming destructive, stopping us from fulfilling that exponential curve through intelligence. Yes, the, I mean, there's a part of one also that, that recognizes that the greed, the need to improve, to just to grow, to that sort of stretching, that is part of what makes us who we are. And that rationally, we should try and get rid of all this desire, this need for for calories, for riches, for admiration, for possessions, that the idea that we could be simple, some idealized medieval idea of like William Morrison at the height of the Industrial Revolution saw the ugliness and the, the, the poverty and the misery and the slavery and the pollution of it all and, and sort of romanticized and idealized the, the medieval. And we tend to do that to hunter-gatherers. If only we could go back to not having this this awful desire to keep growing and getting and spending and and yet um i don't know maybe we will and and maybe this crisis you know i'm sure we've all thought haven't we that when we do stumble out into the light and uh, you know the all clear whistle has been blown most of us would probably say let's get it right this time let's you know some obvious things let's make sure our health system is never ever as underfunded again let's let's help them, you know make sure that the status of our health workers is higher and their pay is higher and all of that i'm sure we'll say and we'll believe in it and, and let's hope it happens but i wonder if we'll want to address not in an old left right way but in a in, in a different kind of way we want to address the way we organize our living and our working. And if it coincides with things like artificial intelligence, the whole tsunami are, are, that is made up of different forces, different tides coming in, nanotechnology, brain-machine interfacing, bio-augmentation, quantum computing, gene editing and genomics, machine learning, unsupervised machine learning, all these different, all coming together. They are likely, as, as people have to disrupt, to use that awful word, the way we work to such an extent that it's possible that like Finland, we'll have to start paying people just basic incomes and not expect them to work because there won't be enough work for people to do because white collar work is affected by AI. So all of that, plus the coronavirus, is a terrific motive and reason, isn't it, to rethink society to rethink the way we live and work and communicate. Unfortunately, the people with the most passion and energy and zest are the greediest corporate people who want immediately to piss in every corner to mark out their territory and, and to make sure that nothing changes and that the money comes into their coffers the way it always has and that we're kept down. You know, I, I know I'm very lucky and I can, I'm not a wage slave, but you know what I mean. So some form of coming together of people who are not going to just uh, 
wave the same old placards of of, of political left and right, but uh, to find a new way which isn't too hippie and and silly and unrealistic, but is uh, twinned with science and spirituality, if you want to call it that, or at least a new way of thinking about human happiness. And if they can all come together, then maybe this crisis won't have been in vain. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.